Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Word Processing, one of the podcasts from Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. As always, I'm Andrew. Well, I guess I shouldn't say, as always, Josiah, recently you had another guest on here, and it wasn't me. As usual. As usual. As, as per, is the norm. As is the norm. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Andrew and Josiah here. We are pastors at Oak Ridge, and we're going to discuss God's Word. And Josiah, this past Sunday, you preached a sermon that was not in our series on Matthew, but you did kind of a one-off. And man, we looked at a lot of scripture, like three full chapters. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground. There was There was a lot to cover. I'm wondering if we can start today just reminding us, however you choose to do so, what we looked at, and maybe also a bit of the motivation for why we went there uh, on Sunday. I talked a little bit about the motivation, I think, on Sunday. I think in a word, the motivation for this one-off sermon, as you called it, was weariness. There's just a heaviness, a fatigue with bad news. There just seems to be an onslaught an unrelenting wave of bad news one after another. We come out of COVID-19 and things seem to be loosening. The sun is coming up again. Spring is coming. And then war breaks out. And if it wasn't war, there is tension still in other countries. There is racial disunity. There are all these things. It just seems the last two years has been unrelenting. One bad thing after the next bad thing. And I guess I was feeling weary that week, uh, speaking to the other elders of the church, they also felt that there was a weariness and that the remedy for that is to turn us back to thanksgiving and joyfulness. And so it was actually in an elders meeting that we talked about what the congregation might benefit most from hearing from God, what part of the text. And, and one of the guys suggested this idea of joyful thanksgiving and, and hope. And as we prayed as elders, my heart just kind of landed on the end of the story, Revelation 20, 21, and 22. And so that was the motivation. It was just this, I guess, a pastoral and hopefully a, a spirit-led turning to the end of the story to give hope and joy and thanksgiving. What do we have to be thankful for in spite of all the bad news? And like I said on Sunday, it's not to bury our head in the sand and pretend it's not happening, stick our fingers in our ears and close our eyes to it all. But it's to acknowledge that it is going to happen. And the next wave will come next year or the year after, and the wave after that of bad news. That's going to happen this side of eternity. But what do we have to cling to as a life raft in spite of it all? That is the goal. And so that was, again, the motivation for the switch up in the schedule. And like I just mentioned, we looked at Revelation 20, 21, and 22. The last three chapters of not only Revelation, not only the New Testament, but of the entire canon, where it describes what happens at the end. How is Satan defeated? How does the kingdom become established? How are the new heavens and new earth ushered in? And what will it look like in the eternal state? And this anticipation of these things that is supposed to grow and dictate our actions in the present while we wait. And so that's kind of what we covered. It was a lot of text and we skimmed a lot on the top at times, I think, but we just wanted to point out those themes rather than do a deep dive into the three chapters and be encouraged by them, I hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that we've had so much kingdom talk over the last yeah. while in Matthew, especially. Yeah. And I know we've done a couple one-off sermons on things like the Lord's Prayer or podcasts even, mm -hmm. you know, thy kingdom come. Well, what does that even look like? Yeah. Well, we got a chance to actually go back and look. And I know maybe for many of us that have grown up in the church, we've maybe 
heard or read or explored bits of the Revelation narrative, but I think it's easy to get confused or easy to get different pictures or different discussions or narratives going, but to actually spend some time and just be washed by the word, even as you said, only going inch deep, we're being washed by the word and letting it transform us and allowing our minds to to linger and to go into those places as we, you know, picture the the streets that are such pure gold that it's like glass and to to picture that city falling from heaven and or coming from heaven and and all the things that were discussed i think it was a really beautiful and engaging topic of discussion for sure yeah we pray so we pray it was the god-given remedy for some of the heaviness we're feeling and i think no coincidence there either that it was almost two years to the day since the pandemic was declared that we end up having this service of like you know it's it's you know keep saying the last couple years last while two years almost to the day i didn't realize that that it was the, to the day it's so cl- a couple days off i think it was like 11th versus 13th or something like that but mm-hmm. either way a moment of just respite we've and we've talked about this that we n- we don't want to focus on all the negativity or all the COVID or all that whatever all the time but to just take a moment and say let's have a moment and pause and acknowledge what this last two years has been and what is still coming and if, if it isn't only the big ticket items like the war and COVID and all those things, those big issues cause stress on a personal level as well in our families and in our church. There's difference of opinion. There's worry and anxiety. And those cause us to react differently to our kids and to our grandparents and all those things. It's just, it has affected everything. And you open your internet browser and look to the news or you open a newspaper if you still get it or whatever the case may be. You go on the news on TV or online, watch it on YouTube. And it's just bad news. Constantly. There's just constantly something to worry about, something to pray for, something to mourn, something that's declaring you're in trouble, your life is in jeopardy as you know it, uh, be afraid. And again, not to minimize those things, there are some significant things happening, but we wanted to lift our eyes above the problems of this world and the problems of our lives, not to ignore them, but to see them in light of what is promised to come. And I love that you included the scope of not just these big things, but also you brought it down to a personal level as well. And you said, you know, if there were a news reporter, a journalist writing headlines about your own life, we all have negative headlines going on too. We might have illness. We might have diagnoses. We might have another failed test. You know, we all have stuff going on and they all just pile up yeah. and add to the stress over time. And I used the analogy with someone recently that, you know, if we think of the picture of carrying a lot of different weights, sometimes certain weights might be something that can handle by itself. But once we get three or four of those, it starts to become a lot. And to take the analogy one step further, the longer we carry those weights, the heavier they feel over time. So I think it's never a bad time to just take a Sunday or a a study break and to just say, let's try and do what we can to leave our burdens or or get some extra strength to carry what we're carrying Mm -hmm. uh, and move forward knowing that the light is ahead. Well, specifically on Sunday, Josiah, as we went through these three chapters of Revelation, you gave us a list of four things that we are waiting for. And these are four things that are promised will happen. These are guaranteed by the scripture itself, by God's word. I thought maybe we'd go through each one of these and maybe you could share a bit about either why they're so important to us as a church or maybe even perhaps why they hold significance for you um, as an individual. I know you asked me some personal questions a couple of weeks ago, so I thought we can hear a bit about why these are important to you. Or if you want to just talk about the church as a whole, that's fine too. So the first point, the thing that we're waiting for is that evil is destroyed. I don't know if that needs much explanation. Do we long for that? If there's anything that is causing us weariness, it's evil. 
it's just this onslaught of evilness broken there's and, and it's not only out there it's in me too and my personal fight with sin if there's anything i'm waiting for and longing for the most it is the destruction of all that is evil and to live a life free from that burden and free from temptation and free from fear and free from danger goodness i i don't know if that needs much explanation we we long for that mm-hmm. and Praise God, it is promised and it is unstoppably going to come to pass. And so we live in light of that reality. But yeah, I long for that one. I don't know. That's personal. I I do. Sure. (laughs) I think it's so interesting, even what you just said there. So often when I think about this idea of evil being destroyed, and that includes suffering and pain and, and all the things that chapter describes, I think about how those things aren't going to be happening to me anymore. But I don't often think about what you just said about the idea of being free from temptation, free from my own sin. That there is coming a day where I will not be tempted to do something wrong or tempted to do something sinful. Like that is, yeah, just something I guess I don't normally think about. I think about being the victim rather than the perpetrator. And like, oh yeah, I won't have to be injured anymore. I won't have to be hurt by people anymore or face illness anymore. But like, I also won't be engaging in sinful activity anymore the sin that breaks my heart at times and doesn't break my heart enough at other times i'll be honest i don't even know what life will be like at that point what is it like to live life without a hint of temptation in my life i don't know i've never experienced it and so i trust and hope and know that it will be good and i long for that but at the same time it is beyond my comprehension as a fallen person Even if I take my own sin out of the equation, my own temptation, just looking at a world free from sin, a world in which creation is not groaning, a world in which all evil is eradicated and evil people are gone, I don't know exactly what that will be like. I know I want it. Even in my wildest dreams, my imagination has its limits when I try to picture what that will be like. Yeah, just picturing not having to be suspicious of people or assuming the worst of people to literally be able to believe the best of everybody. No insecurity. No. No, we can go on and on. It is going to be beautiful. And it's certainly something to anticipate and long for. And praise God, he's promised it to us. He's given us the end of the story and said, hey, this is what it's going to be like. This is what is in your future Mm -hmm. for those who trust in my son. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about faithfulness being rewarded. Mm -hmm. You and I talk about this often that faithfulness is its own reward, even Mm -hmm. though it doesn't seem like it. So we serve people, we do what the Lord calls us to do, and sometimes we get kicked for it. You know, sometimes you serve the Lord and you, you walk in obedience to him, you pick up your cross, you kill sin, and the only reward in this life you have is hardship and oppression, and you lay yourself down for someone and they just step on you. And in those times, we need to be reminded that faithfulness, even though it goes unrewarded and unrecognized in this life at times, it ultimately is rewarded. And so it's just, it's never a loss. Mm -hmm. It can seem like the net gain is quite low in this life, but the Lord sees everything and he will reward faithfulness to him. And so it's just a motivation. Not only is evil going to be gone, but all the steps of faithfulness that we've taken in this life for his name's sake is seen, recorded, and will be rewarded in the life to come. And so it's just motivation. And it's, it can be a bit of a pick-me-up if we are knocked around for being faithful and we don't see the fruit of our obedience, we don't see an immediate reward. We need to understand that, again, eternity is just that. It's eternity. This life is a vapor. Yeah. And if I need to endure some lack of appreciation or lack of reward for 60, 70, 80, 90 years, for eternity, I will be rewarded. And so it's a something that motivates. 
Yeah, and I think, again, it's a call to that eternal perspective, right? And this, I think, more than most is that call to trying to, again, not ignore what's happening in this world, but recognize that what's coming is far greater. Mm-hmm. What about the fact that God's going to dwell with us? That one's super interesting to me. Why? Because I think it can feel so hard to picture. It feels so hard to imagine a physical God because we have not seen him with our own eyes, right? To to think of the fact that, yes, we are worshiping a God that we see the actions of or the results of, but that we have not actually ourselves necessarily seen. And so, yeah, I just find that fascinating. You want to talk about imagination, imagining what that will look like to walk as Adam and Eve did in the garden without shame in the presence of the Almighty. No, you're exactly right. We are walking lines here, which our fallen minds cannot fully comprehend. But as believers, I think that we all have experienced times in which we feel closer to the Lord. Of course. Whether that's when you first came to faith and you feel that new creation reality take hold and it's rejuvenating and thrilling, or you submit to the waters of baptism and you come up out of that water and you just feel his pleasure for your obedience or you're having a sweet time of fellowship in your prayer life, or your whatever the case may be, we know the difference between times we have drawn near to the Lord and times where we have let our sin pull us away. So you just picture those times when we're close to the Lord and the peace and the joy, and there's almost an invincibility that comes, a holy swagger, right? It's just this, nothing can stop me because I'm close to the Lord, and things are just wonderful, and I see things differently because I'm near him. And I just picture, imagine that times infinity. Yeah. When he dwells with us. And and imagine that we will experience that and never waver again. We will never let sin, because it'll be gone. Evil will be destroyed. It it, will never pull us away. And there will just be this perfection to the relationship that, again, I even struggle to find the words to describe my imagination for the issue. The power of his presence is something believers long for. As people who have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts, we long for it even if we can't articulate what it is we long for. Mm -hmm. And when he dwells on earth, that will be quenched. We will be completely satisfied forevermore. And I think I said on Sunday that those first two, evil being destroyed and faithfulness being rewarded, wonderful, things I long for. And yet they really just pave the way for that third one, the presence of God dwelling with us. Preparation, yeah. How can he dwell with us unless we are his faithful people, and unless evil is gone, he can't. That's the issue. And so he deals with those two things, and then he condescends permanently. And that promise of the Old Testament, you will be my people and I will be your God, that will ultimately find its total fruition, its total fulfillment in the eschaton, in the end. And we long for that, even though we lack words to describe it. Mm -hmm. I like what you described there of how we can feel distant from him. And in the future, there's no, that's not a reality. There is no oh, I feel distance or maybe I am distant or I've distanced myself. That just can't happen. <laughs> no, never again. His presence is the very light by which we see. Yeah. And, and he has used all the language of the biblical authors that they use to describe God. He is the good shepherd. He is light. He is. Those things will be fully manifest in that time. We will have the good shepherd perfectly caring for us. We will have him as our light. In fact, we won't even need a sun because he illumines everything. The warmth of his presence, that paternal relationship, that just go on and on and on. Perfection of all of those hints that we have through scripture Mm -hmm. in the end. And so is that something we long for? I think we long for it more than we can even say. 
think that's why I find it interesting, right? I think we long for it more than we even realize mm-hmm. because it can seem so out there, so meta kind of in some ways, right? People have often said, you know, we have this God-shaped hole in our hearts that only he can fill. And it's crass and it's overly simplistic. But at the same time, you see what they're saying. You see how that hole is only totally filled because it was put there by him. And it's only totally filled when he fully dwells with us and when our sin is eradicated. Well, another one that probably doesn't need much explanation, but the idea of peace being established. Yeah, that kind of just comes out of his presence and evil being gone and faithfulness being rewarded. But again, this is something that probably more than the presence of God we can get our heads around because we know what war is and we know what lack of war is. And and yet at the same time, the peace described in scripture, this wholeness, this more than just absence of battle and conflict, but this shalom, wholeness, everything as it should be is something, again, that we long for and we clamor towards in this life and we try to pretend as human beings that we can bring it about and we can coerce it and we can manufacture it. But the reality is until sin is dealt with and his presence is on earth, we will never experience it as we should. But it is coming, a wholeness, when, yes, in the kingdom, the millennial kingdom, weapons will be turned into farming equipment because they will not need them for war anymore. But there will be a final war when Satan is released and they gather for battle, but that takes no time. Fire comes down, consumes them, and then perfect shalom, perfect peace for eternity. No conflict. Again, I don't even know fully what that will feel like, will be like, but I can't wait to find out. Mm -hmm. Well, Josiah, you ended by giving us three practical things that we can do while we wait. You talked about worshiping, washing, and watching. Can we maybe just take a few moments and and flesh these out a little bit more, either in the how or the why for each of them? Yeah, hopefully they're relatively self-explanatory. I mean... You went right to the text. Yeah, describing though, like what we just did and what we talked about, how can we not worship him? Ascribe to him, and we say this often, this is not just singing to him, but it certainly includes that, but ascribing to him what he's due, our attention, our fidelity, our loyalty, whatever the case may be, Lord, you get it all because of these things, because of what you've promised will come to pass, because of the end end of the story that you've written and will bring about. You deserve everything. You know, in this short little life, the years that you've given me mm-hmm. by your providence, I'm going to give you everything because you're owed that. And so we worship him in the meantime, in light of the end of the story. And then the second was to wash ourselves. And obviously the most perfect way we wash ourselves is by trusting Christ and getting his righteousness imputed to our account that we stand before him clean, even though we're not. We are covered in Christ's righteousness. And so that's the first step as far as washing ourselves. Be ready. Mm -hmm. Be ready. Why? Because I am coming quickly, he says. So be in my son. You have to trust in Jesus because once he comes, it's too late. And then for us who have done that, it's this idea to live a repentant life, to restore that fellowship as often as we can because we know we pick up dirt on our feet as we walk through this life. It's not that we throw off the robes of Christ's righteousness, but we do muddy our shoes. And so we need to go to him and say, Lord, forgive me. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so it's this idea of pursuing godliness with vigor. And that is an act of worship. So these two things are related. I'm going to offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is my spiritual act of worship. I'm going to pursue godliness because he is worth that dedication. It honors him. It's best for me. It's best for my family. And so we wash ourselves. We live washed lives uh, depending on the Holy Spirit keeping our eyes locked on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So then as we worship and as we wash, we also watch. And I was just struck in Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible. 
there's repeated indications of his imminent return. I am coming quickly. Come, come, come. I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We got to watch for it. It could be at any moment. And so there's this eagerness. There's an anticipation. There's a a, a true longing as we worship and wash ourselves. We also watch at any moment. We say, perhaps today. We wake up and say, perhaps today. This could be it. And we say it, I hope and I pray, with a hopeful smile on our face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Josiah, just as we wrap up today, obviously, as we've talked about, one of the major motivations in going into these passages this week was encouraging and inspiring hope in a time of so much, as you said, bad news. What would you maybe say to, to pastor someone, maybe a listener who believes in these promises and has this hope of what's to come, but in the midst of their current struggles, of their current suffering, they're having a hard time being encouraged by something that, while we talk about it being imminent, could also be a long time away yet. How would you encourage someone who is struggling with the not yet of these promises? The, this is to come, and that's great, and I'm looking forward to it, but right now I'm still in the thick. A few things come to mind. First, ask the Lord to help you to stop looking at yourself. I think that in our modern Western culture, we do a lot of introspection. In fact, we're encouraged to do it. A lot of navel-gazing. We are the most interesting topic in most of our own lives. You know, we like to think about ourselves and we're encouraged to do so. But in scripture, as I said a moment ago, we are told to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It's not to ignore the hardships that we have in life. They are very real. But it is to look at him. Even when it comes, and we talk about this often, thinking about our own salvation and the security of our salvation and the assurance that comes from that. Many people will tell us, well, how are you doing in your Christian life? You want to know if you're saved? Are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit? Are you growing in your ability to kill sin? I see that as a very, very secondary source of assurance of salvation when we look at ourselves and our performance. That can be very scary. That's very unsure because even the most mature believers, sometimes we have good weeks and bad weeks. And then what happens to our assurance if we're looking at ourselves? No, for assurance of salvation, we look at God, his character, and what he's promised. What has he said? Has he made this promise? Yes. What is his character? Well, he can't lie. So therefore what? And so we look at him. We don't look at ourselves. And so if you're enduring some major suffering right now and some discouragement and some weariness, ask the Lord, say, Lord, I'm struggling to take my eyes off of my own plight. Help me. Help me lock my eyes on Jesus. I am not the center of the universe. Take my mind off of myself and put it on Jesus. Now, there is a way in which we are constantly drawn to ourselves, especially if we're in pain. And so the second thing I would say is use your pain, use your fear as again, a springboard to worship. And we've talked about this before as well, Mm -hmm. that as I come to the end of myself, as I'm fearful, as I am insufficient, as I am weak, understand that our God is the opposite of those things and just use it as a springboard. Ah, I got angry again. I'm fearful again. I'm anxious again. Well, guess what? The God I serve, the God who has saved me and keeps me saved is not fearful. In him, there is no fear. Why? Because he knows the beginning from the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega, as we were reminded on Sunday. I come to the end of myself. I'm weak. Again, my body's failing. He is strong. In fact, his strength is made perfect in my weakness. So again, using it as fodder to turn our eyes away from ourselves to him. It doesn't erase the struggle, but we do know that we serve a strong, powerful, sovereign, providential, loving God in spite of all of those things. And so I think those are two places probably to start. Surround yourself with people who are thinking the same way as you as well, who are trying to discipline themselves to think biblically about these things. Sometimes we can surround ourselves, maybe online or whatever, with a lot of people who want to bathe in self-pity. 
and surround ourselves with kind of you know, that misery loves company mentality. Guard yourself from that, especially brother or sister, if you if you know your propensity to fall into that discouragement. Surround yourself with stronger brothers and sisters. Oftentimes, they're more experienced brothers and sisters. This is one of the problems with a church that segregates based on age too much. You know, where I used to go to a church where we'd come in and our family separated, and then we'd regather two hours later when church was over because we'd all go to our own areas of the church that were age appropriate. And there's a place for that. But one of the things that's missing there is as a young man, I was cut off from older saints who could slap some sense into me. Say, stop looking at yourself. You're not that important. Look to the Lord and they could remind me of these things. So again, surround yourself with people who know better, who have probably endured as much or more than you and can help you to navigate that with your eyes locked on Jesus. Hmm. Some great words, Josiah. So thank you for that. Listener, thank you for being with us again today. I hope these words have been encouraging and have helped you to understand this this picture that we have at the end of the book of Revelation, a, a book that t- we touched on briefly, I guess, last year, the, the beginning of it, and interesting to, again, to look at the end. And I'm sure someday we'll, we'll get to the middle portion as well. Until then, go with grace and peace. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.